morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. Each and every week, uh, a guest and I have the pleasure of unpacking the parasha, the weekly reading that is offered in synagogues uh, on Monday, Thursday, and Shabbat, Saturday morning. The Torah, Purush, the Torah, the five books of Moses, is divided into 52 sections, each section being read uh, on a particular week. And uh, we begin the reading of the Torah with the book of Genesis and conclude with the book of Deuteronomy, known in Hebrew as Devarim. This week, we continue with our reading in the book of Exodus. We are in the second parasha, the second of the weekly readings, known as Va'era, and uh, it usually is translated as I appeared, referring to the eternal God of the Israelites appearing to Moses. Uh, I'm going to offer an overview of the parasha before my guest and I uh, approach some of the more interesting specifics of the parasha. This week, uh, God reveals himself to Moses, um, having done so last week in the episode known as the burning bush. But this week, he uses the four expressions of redemption. Uh, Take the children of Israel from Egypt, deliver them from their enslavement, redeem them and acquire them as his own chosen people at Mount Sinai. He will then, according to the Torah portion, bring them to the land he promised to the patriarchs as their eternal heritage. Moses and Aaron repeatedly come before Pharaoh during this week's reading to demand in the name of the Israelite deity, let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. Pharaoh repeatedly refuses. Some of the stories in this parasha are well known to you, the listener. Aaron's staff turns into snake and swallows the magic sticks of the Egyptian sorcerers. God then sends the first set of plagues upon the Egyptians, which we read about in this week's parasha. The waters of the Nile turn to blood. Swarms of frogs overrun the land. Lyst infects both humans and beasts. Hordes of wild animals invade the cities. A pestilence can kills the domestic animals. Painful boils afflict the Egyptians. For the seventh plague, fire and ice combine to descend from the skies as a devastating hail. And still, according to the Torah portion, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he would not let the children of Israel go as God had asked through Moses. Some of these stories are known to you through your own reading of the Torah or the Old Testament or the Tanakh, and some of you may be aware of the stories through one of the uh, motion picture presentations of uh, the book of Exodus and the story of Exodus. With me this morning is Rabbi Neil Borovitz, who is Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey, for these past uh, 10 years, after serving as the rabbi of the synagogue for 25 years. Prior to assuming his position in New Jersey in the summer of 1988, 
Rabbi Borovitz served as Hillel Rabbi and instructor in biblical and religious studies at the University of Texas in Austin and the executive director of the Labor Zionist Alliance in the United States, and uh, also as rabbi of Union Temple in Brooklyn, New York. Rabbi Borovitz is, uh, received his rabbinic ordination from Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in uh, 1975 and uh, was ordained at the uh, Cincinnati campus. He is an active leader in community fairs during his time in the rabbinate and was uh, certainly part, uh, an active part of the rabbinic network in Bergen County, New Jersey, where his congregation is found. It's a joy to have such a scholar with us this morning to discuss this week's parasha. I want to welcome back to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, Rabbi Neil Borovitz. Thank you very much. It's uh, really a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have a chance to dialogue uh, with you, my, my dear friend and classmate. Uh, well, it is a pleasure to learn with you and uh, to uh, share your knowledge with our listeners. Um, as I indicated in the introduction, uh, we have these four verses uh, that uh, are called in the text, the four expressions of redemption. So why don't we begin there? Um, how do we understand the impact and the importance of these four uh, expressions of redemption? One way, uh, at the Passover Seder, which is one of the most important events uh, on the annual Jewish calendar, the four verbs come to represent the four cups of wine uh, that are drunk at the Seder. And uh, the first word of redemption, Hotsetia, will bring you out. Uh, the second, Hitsalti, uh, I will deliver you. The third, Gaalti, I will redeem you. And the fourth, Wakachti, I will take you out. And actually, there's a fifth verb. A fifth the next verb. Verse, the, the, we also have a verb in these uh, in Exodus six and seven. Uh, it ends with Hebeti. I will bring you to the promised land. And this verb came to be associated uh, with the coming of the, the promise of, uh, of Elijah the prophet of ultimate redemption, where the first four verbs represent uh, the redemption uh, of the past. It's hebeti uh, that remind, is the rabbis have told us that it reminds reminded them and should remind us of the promise of ultimate redemption uh, and, and represents uh, the redemption of the future. So this, this portion uh, why, uh, seems to be doing two things simultaneously. It introduces us to the story of the Exodus, which is well known. But then, as you suggest, it introduces us to a uh, concept, a Jewish concept of redemption and the future. Absolutely. So um, it is a pivotal portion in that um, while most of us focus on the interchange and interaction between Aaron, Moses, and the Pharaoh, 
and what's happening with the very well-known stories of the plagues, uh, you're suggesting that these four terms, and then a fifth term, which is not made uh, ritualized in the Passover Seder in the same way, um, speaks to us about the eternal future of the Jewish people. Absolutely. And more than that, and I think certainly in terms of what we've all been experiencing in the world, and especially our Israeli brothers and sisters have been experiencing in Israel since October 7th, uh, the sense is what I see in these passages is that God is telling Moses, this is what you should say to the Israelites. But ultimately, God isn't going to magically cause this redemption, uh, this freedom from bondage. People are going to have to do it. So Moses and Aaron are going to have to both stand up to Pharaoh uh, and inspire their people to follow them on a path to redemption. So it re uh, it represents uh, a, a great challenge, I think, to uh, to us and certainly to Jews and Christians uh, for whom this story is so central. Uh, we we realize. It's, it's our responsibility, ultimately, to be God's voice and God's hands in this world. Well, that's a very important point, because one could uh, spend a lifetime focusing on the miracles enunciated in this story, uh, even in this week's parashiot on the plagues, uh, which one could consider miracles. But the plagues in and of themselves, as discussed in this week's parasha, require Moses and Aaron to uh, continue to have a dialogue with the Pharaoh. And as you pointed out, continue to offer leadership to the Israelis, uh, to the Israelites, um, and to be the conduit between God's words uh, and the people of Israel and hopefully to motivate them to move their feet. Um, though there are lovely images suggesting later in the book of Exodus that God brought them out on a magic carpet on the wings of eagles. The truth is that they walked out of Egypt, and so they were required to act uh, in a very human manner. Absolutely. And, you know, there's another passage that uh, a verse in this week's Torah portion, it was actually found at the end of uh, the previous week's uh, portion in uh, chapter 5 of Exodus, and then is repeated multiple times uh, in this portion, which is in Hebrew, Shalach etami v'ya'avduni. Let my people go that they may serve me. That This is the message Moses brings to Pharaoh. So, you know, lots of times everybody focuses on the first part, let my people go. And what is, uh, that's liberation, asking for liberation. But true freedom, the Torah is teaching us, means we have to, once we are liberated, we have an obligation by Ya'avduni to be servants of God, uh, to, uh, to actually make, use the, use the freedom uh, of action and expression we have for good. And human beings can, you know, 
good or bad, and it's the rabbis actually debated off uh, in the Talmud. Was it a good thing that they that we were created that human beings were created with free will? And actually, in one passage, they take a vote and they said, "No, it wasn't," uh, because we uh, we have this inclination to do evil. But they then say, "Well, but since we were created with free will, we have an opportunity." an ability and a responsibility uh, to use our actions via Avduni to serve God. Uh, some scholars, both rabbinic and secular scholars, would say that um, the second clause, Avduni, to serve God, is a challenge to Pharaoh, inasmuch as Pharaoh is the Egyptian god or the god, the primary uh, source of deity in Egypt. And so the Torah is really saying um, two things to Pharaoh. Free the people, but know that they are not going to uh, be available to serve you again. They have a different master. Right, and that's what human... The history of, of humanity is all about, isn't it? That there are always in every generation, including in our own day, too many uh, political leaders who believe they're God uh, and demand absolute servitude to them uh, and not to God. Uh, and Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the three monotheistic faiths that grow out of this story, all teach uh, that there is a God that is beyond uh, human beings. Uh, tragically, too much of human history and too much of the history of the last uh, 3,400 years since Moses has been uh, a history in which individuals want to lift themselves up by putting other people down and demand, uh, like they act like pharaohs, uh, not like servants of God. But there is an interesting challenge here. Um, all three Abrahamic religions call for some sort of servitude uh, to the deity. Um, perhaps since you've introduced the topic, and though you may not have thought about this in advance, but I have every uh, hope that you have, um, what is the difference between serving Pharaoh and serving the God of the Hebrews. Because they both are expressed in terms of servitude. The, uh, the Hebrews were slaves to Pharaoh. The term that is used for slave is eved, a slave. And the Hebrew verb that you uh, shared with our listeners is the, is the verbal form of that. Right. So the fact is, that uh, in Jewish tradition, avodah can be can mean worship. is used as a form of worship. Uh, in Ethics of the Fathers, uh, the world stands upon three things: upon Torah teaching, avodah meaning worship, and gemilut chasadim deeds of kindness. Uh, there's uh, you know beautiful haggadah that was uh, uh, done. Uh, oh, probably 40 years ago by uh, an artist named David Moss. He has a page. Just let's uh, clarify yeah. for the listeners. Who may, the story of, right. So yeah. the Haggadah is the book 
in which uh, we have the Passover evening service. Uh, Haggadah means the telling. And within that book, we have both the telling of the story that we're reading of this week uh, and next week, as well as the liturgy uh, that is uh, incumbent upon Israelites with the four cups of wine and the matzah and the Seder plate. Um, so that is what's meant by the Haggadah, just to clarify that. Go ahead, Rabbi. Thank you. So on one page in, in, in that, uh, in David Moss's Haggadah, uh, he actually has all the verses in the Torah written in very small, called micrography, very small writing, uh, that have uh, where the word Eved means a slave to Pharaoh. Uh, and juxtaposed to it uh, in a mirror uh, image way, all the words where it's they describe Israel uh, as uh, Eved Adonai, servants of God. So the quest, and that's that's my point. You know, all of us have a chance, an opportunity, every single moment of every single day to say, are we going to serve God, or are we going to serve? an external power, uh, you know, human power of a pharaoh, or even the pharaoh within each of us. You know, are we going to be self-serving? Are we going to be, you know, serving an autocratic leader? Or are we going to serve God? And the way Jewish tradition says we serve God is by being God's voice and hands in the world, by serving uh, serving the downtrodden. Uh, Micah says, it beautifully, the prophet Micah, what does God require of us to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with God? Really simple, or Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, these are very simple, direct statements, but actualizing them ain't so easy. So the difference would be that in serving Pharaoh, you were only... Uh, aggrandizing the image of Pharaoh, but in serving the God of the Hebrews, um, you have an obligation to serve not just uh, the deity, but all of humanity. Right, because uh, you know we're told that human beings in, in the beginning of, uh, of Genesis, in the first chapter of the uh, of the Bible, uh, we're told that human beings were created created in the image of God. And that doesn't mean the physical image, but rather that we have a mind and a soul. And uh, so, how do so we serve God by serving each other? I'm I'm reminded um, Bob Dylan in one of his interesting religious iterations when he uh, had embraced Christianity, um, and he produced an album called Slow Train Coming. Uh, had a song, um, you need to just serve someone. Um, and he, in his song, tried to uh, describe how uh, someone who had grown up Jewish and, and for large parts of his life had been um, a practicing Jew um, was now talking about a different kind of servitude as expressed in Christianity. So all three religions 
uh, have a sense of servitude, but all all three of them understand it very differently and certainly differently than uh, the Egyptians did with regard to the paganism of Egypt. Absolutely. And and tragically, we see in a world today where uh, people who proclaim themselves to be Jews, Christians, and Muslims oftentimes are really self-serving themselves rather than serving uh, serving God. So, so this is a Torah portion that wants to have the reader really consider uh, what does it mean to be responsible to some sort of authority? And it offers us three different images of authority. So one authority figure is the Pharaoh, who is unquestionable and who is all-powerful. The second authority figure is uh, Moses, who has to act in such a way, uh, even though it's a sense of authority, he has to find a way to get the Israelites to buy into his authority. Uh, and then the third figure of authority is Adonai, uh, the deity of the Israelites. And perhaps you can help our uh, listeners understand why the Torah portion would like to give us such uh, three very different forms of authoritative, uh, authoritarian rule or authoritarian uh, images. First of all, you know, the word, uh, the name Adonai, God is referred to by multiple names in, uh, in, in the Torah, in the Bible. Adonai is the gerund form, the noun form of the verb to be. And when God reveals himself at the burning bush in last week's uh, Torah reading, uh, and then repeated in the opening verses of this week's Torah reading, uh, we're it's clear that God, this God, this name Yud Hey Vav Hey, the four-letter name of God, uh, is the gerund form of the verb to be, and it should be tra- understood as God is saying to when Moses says to God, "Well, who should I? Who are you? What, what's your name?" God says, "I will be that what I will be, uh, or I am that I am," because. The Hebrew can be translated either in the singular, uh, in the uh, in in the present or the future tense. So, what does it mean? It means that in every human situation, in every moment uh, of our life, till our last breath, we have a chance to uh, live in the image of God or reject that, and uh, that's. Uh, that's the great challenge of life. And when people come together uh, in the service of God, it means they're in the service of all of humanity. And then all of a sudden, those top 10 commandments that we'll read about in a couple of weeks in uh, in Exodus uh, really speak to us when it says, Lo tirtach, do not, you shall not murder. It's not that I choose not to, or don't steal, or don't don't bear false witness. Uh, don't covet. Those are things I do, not because I'm a good guy and I choose to do it, but because my commander-in-chief, the ultimate commander-in-chief of all humanity, God, has commanded me to do so. And that's how I express my allegiance to God. It's 
in the way I act uh, and don't act. So there's do's and don'ts. So we've talked about uh, how this week's Torah portion uh, is uh, important for the Passover story, and it manifests itself in the Haggadah um, through the four forms of redemption uh, existing as the four cups of wine and the four questions, uh, and the number four uh, repeats itself quite often in the in the Haggadah. And we've talked about the notion of servitude. We don't have a lot of time left, but I'm wondering if you'd like to make one comment about the notion of the plagues, because the plagues also appear in the uh, Haggadah, but um, they are really um, an essential part of the uh, Exodus epic. Right. So I think that the plagues are all... all can be ultimately explained as naturally they can they can happen. Their bad things can happen. So the question is, uh, at the right at a certain time at a certain place. So the fact is, how do I deal with? Uh, a lot of it has to do with very contemporary, like ecological uh, uh, problems, uh, the spoiling of our drinking water, which is the first one, you know. The, the plague of blood, uh, you know, massive climatic uh, climate changes. Ultimately, you know, the the, the ultimate plague, the tenth plague, the killing of the firstborn. What do we? It's one of the things that's always touched me about war since our youth and watching, uh, you know, uh, during the Vietnam War, as you and I were uh, in in high school and then in college. Uh, the fact is, it's it's pharaohs, it's leaders that send young people out to die, that send their firstborn uh, and their secondborn uh, out to fight wars. Think about how many wars would there be if the world uh, uh, declared that nobody under 50 can serve in a war? Uh, you know, that. Uh, so one of the things that uh, touches me is uh, the relevance to, to today. And how do we put ourselves in this story and use the story and the text uh, of our traditions uh, as a lens through which we look at the modern world? And conversely, how do we look at the text, our sacred text, through the lens of our contemporary society? I think that's probably the perfect place to leave it. I want to thank uh, Rabbi Neil Borovitz, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodah in New Jersey, for sharing his wisdom with us this morning. You can hear our conversation on CHRI-FM 99.1 FM or on the CHRI.ca website as a podcast, or you can download it from wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten saying shalom and wishing you all a good day.